so what makes us Jewish or what makes someone Jewish? So in 1950, the Knesset, which is the parliament in Israel, passed what's called Chok Hashmut, or the law of return, which essentially offers citizenship to any Jew in the world who comes to Israel. Any Jew living anywhere in the world can come to Israel and under the Chok Hashvut apply for the law of return, apply for citizenship. By 1957, there was some lack of clarity, ambiguity as to how the Israeli government defines who is a Jew who can take advantage of this law, come to Israel and gain citizenship. And so, because there was this question as to, and um, the Israeli, uh, is, uh, because the Israeli government was struggling with this, who should be considered Jewish? So Israel's interior minister at the time, Yisrael Bar Yehuda, um, put a um, executive order, made an executive order that anyone who declares themselves to be Jewish should be accepted as a Jew, and therefore can return to Israel and can get. Israeli citizenship. As when he made that executive order, the religious parties in the Knesset, Israel has religious and secular parties, um, the religious parties in the Knesset were part of the ruling coalition at the time. They all left the ruling coalition, bringing down the Ben-Gurion government and forcing elections. As a result, David Ben-Gurion, Israel's prime minister, sent a letter to 50 Jewish leaders around the world, asking them to define what makes someone Jewish. 45 of them, of those, chose to respond to him, with almost all of those leaders giving an identical answer, with only a handful of exceptions. The answer they gave was the answer of Jewish tradition, which we're going to soon discuss, as to what Jewish traditions, how Judaism historically always considered some Jewish halacha, as we call it, Jewish rules, consider someone Jewish. The Israeli government, however, did not define who is considered Jewish for some time after that due to political debates. It was a big political issue in Israel until in 1970, they passed a law defining who is Jewish for Israeli law, notably the law of return. And it did so, the law that they passed in 1970 was a law they passed defining Jewishness in a way that does not conform with halacha or the Jewish tradition. As a result, again, the government fell and the debate in Israel, while the law still remains on the books in Israel, um, the debate continues in Israel um, as to who is legally considered Jewish in Israel itself. But the question also remains for us everywhere in the world, what makes someone Jewish? So before we can define what makes someone Jewish, we really need to define what are Jews? Now, people often get very confused about this. Are Jews a race? Are Jews a religion? Or are Jews a culture? And this could be somewhat confusing. In the early 90s, the Supreme Court actually weighed in on this question when they were asked to decide whether a Hanukkah menorah on public property was considered endorsing a religion. 
And the Supreme Court ruled that the Hanukkah menorah is only a cultural symbol. Hanukkah being a cultural holiday and therefore can be displayed in public on public property. Yet the US government is not exactly consistent with that ruling. The FBI, for example, when it keeps statistics of bigotry across the country, um, it classifies anti-Semitism or anti-Jewish attacks as a religious bigotry. It's in bigotry against anti-religious attacks as opposed to anti-racist or anti-culture attacks. Though anti-Semites themselves tend to attack Jews regardless of their belief. Um, in many places, particularly in government, generally today, um, you can only um, do something Jewish um, if it is cultural, since there's a separation of church and state. Um, the only, so let's say, clubs on public campuses, uh, on public universities, in schools, um, have to be cultural clubs. They cannot be religious if they're going to be endorsed or if they're going to be recognized by the, um, by the, by the institution. Um, the only exception to that, interestingly, is in our military. In our military is now the only government institution still that's still one of the few besides the prisons that still provide for religious needs. And so the military, the prisons still do provide religious needs and still have chaplains. And um, over there, they do actually support Jewish activities, religious activities. Um, Jews in Germany, before the war, before World War II, tended to consider themselves Germans, German, of German ethnicity, of German, uh, uh, German culturally, only of Jewish faith. And they used to call themselves Germans of Jewish faith. German Nazis, of course, considered Jews to be an inferior race, seeing Jews as a race. The Russians, the Soviets, um, made Jews a nationality. Because every nationality deserves its own nation state, they created a nation state in a place called Birobijan on the Russian-Chinese border um, near Mongolia. Uh, very few Jews ever lived there, but in the Russian identity cards, not only does it say that your citizenship, but it says your nationality. And so Jews was a nationality in Russia. So what are we? Are we a culture? Are we a race? Are we a nationality? Are we a religion? What exactly are Jews? Gets very confusing. People are often confused. I get asked that question often. People are confused not by non-Jews. What are we? So the truth is that we don't neatly fit into any of those boxes very well. We're not really just a religion. We're not just a race. We're not just a nationality. We're not just a culture. The best answer really is that we are members of a, um, that we are members of a covenant or the Hebrew term for that is B'nai Brit. And that's the term we use in Halacha, in Jewish law. We are B'nai Brit, members of a covenant. We are a nation. We speak ourselves as the Jewish people, Am Yisrael, the Jewish nation. We are a people where our nationhood, 
our peoplehood is not defined by specific land where we live or specific culture or specific ethnicity. Our peoplehood and nationhood is defined by a covenant that we or our ancestors made, our ancestors made with God. So while we Jews are mostly of a single genealogical group, that's not what makes us Jewish. There are Jews who don't share our genes, who don't share the same genes as the rest of the Jewish people. There are people who share our genes, at least partly, whom we don't consider Jewish. While there is a Jewish culture, most things that we associate with Jewish culture, food, clothing, mannerisms, language, they really vary from one Jewish community to the next. There wasn't that much culturally in common between a Jew in Eastern Europe and a Jew in Yemen or a Jew in Morocco. Culturally, we were very different, spoke different language, had different foods, different mannerisms. Cultures were different. What held us all together as a single people is our covenant with God. We all are a people who made a covenant with God, a covenant too that we became God's chosen people and we follow God's Torah. So it is the covenant with the Torah that really holds us together. The only thing that holds our people together as a people is the Torah and its commandments, the covenant through the Torah that we have made with God. Or in the immortal words of Rav Sadia Gaon, who lived in the 900s, he wrote in his famous book, Emunot Vedeot, En umatenu uma ela betoroteha. Our nation is only a nation because of the Torah. The Torah is what defines us as a people. Our covenant with God is what defines us as a people. So how did we become Jewish? How did our people begin? Where did we come from? So it started with our ancestor, Abraham. Abraham, as we mentioned before, recognized God as a young man on his own. However, that did not make him Jewish or a member of the covenant just yet. It was only later, after God appeared to Abraham, he had his first revelation, and only later that God made a covenant with him, as we mentioned, the Brit Ben Abitarim, the covenant of the pieces, where God instructed him to cut up animals as a sign of the covenant. And there God made a covenant with him that his descendants will be God's chosen people, and he will give those descendants the, the promised land, the land of Israel. Later, also in this week's parsha, God cemented that covenant with the instruction to that all male descendants, Abraham and all male descendants, should circumcise themselves. The circumcision being called the Brit Milah, um, Brit meaning covenant of circumcision. It is the sign of the, our covenant with God. However, we still did not have a covenant with God as a people. And therefore, not all of Abraham's descendants joined this covenant. Yishmael, his other sons, and he had many others later, um, did not continue in Abraham's ways, and therefore were not part of the covenant. Isaac, Abraham's son, had another son, Asaph, uh, Jacob and Asaph. Asaph did not continue in Isaac's ways and was not part of the covenant. 
God continued his covenant with Jacob and Jacob's descendants. Jacob's descendants went down to Egypt and became slaves until they were led out many years later by Moses. Moses brought the people to Mount Sinai. It was only at Mount Sinai that we sealed our covenant with God and God gave us the Torah. So the definition of, of us as Jews, or more the more proper term, B'nai Brit, members of the covenant, really began at Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, God said, here's the deal. You will be my chosen people. I will give you this promised land. You'll be my treasure. You'll be um, you, a unique people on earth. But you, in exchange, must accept my Torah and accept my commandments. And we all agreed to that covenant. We all agreed. What were the steps that we took to finalize that covenant? So there were four steps that we originally took at Sinai to finalize the covenant. The first, which was really the covenant with Abraham that predated the covenant at Sinai, was male circumcision. Before we left Egypt, although it doesn't say explicitly in the Torah itself, but it mentions it later in the book of Joshua, before we left Egypt, all of the males in Egypt that had to circumcise. So the first step is covenant with Abraham, circum male circumcision. The second step, or first for the women that didn't circumcise, was that we committed to follow all of God's commandments. We made that commitment called in Hebrew, Kabbalat HaMitzvot, the commitment to follow all of God's commandments as they apply to us. The third thing they did was they all went to the mikveh. They had to purify themselves. They all immersed themselves in a kosher mikveh. And then the fourth thing that they did was they offered a sacrifice, a thanksgiving offering to God. Rabbi? Yes. When our ancestors were slaves in Egypt, how did they practice Judaism if they did in fact because it was prior to the Ten Commandments prior to the everything what did they do to show that they were of Jewish descent versus simply the Egyptians they did not they did not practice Judaism at all uh, they had in the words of my money they had forgotten their ancestors covenant it was only Moses who brought them out and brought them back So with this covenant that we took these four steps, four for men, three for women, we took these steps to finalize. With this covenant, we became a people with a responsibility to God that every one of us are now committed to God to follow God's commandments, as well as a responsibility to each other. So it's not just an individual covenant that each one of us have with God, but it is a national covenant. We Jews all have a responsibility to ensure that every other Jew follows the commandments as well. So this covenant that God made with our ancestors at Mount Sinai, that finalized us as that's what makes us Jewish, that's how we define a Jew today, a member of the covenant, was not only for the people themselves who stood at Sinai, but for all of their matrilineal descendants. For all descendants, um, all, all the 
any Jewish woman who is a member of the covenant, her children are automatically members of the covenant. And this continues for all generations. If someone is born to a Jewish mother, they are automatically born Jewish, born into the covenant, even though they never agreed to it. You are born into it, whether you like it or not. Anyone who was not born Jewish has the option of joining the covenant with the same four for men or three for women conditions that our ancestors went through at Sinai, those same steps. Once someone is Jewish, though, once they join the covenant, whether they are born Jewish or became Jewish, either way, they and all their matrilineal descendants can never leave the covenant. They are part of this covenant forever. They and their, for women, their children and their daughter's children will be automatically born in this covenant. God made this as a one-way deal. Once you're in, there is no way out. Now, Judaism has always passed matrilineally, in other words, through the female line. We know this as part of our oral tradition. It is very clear from the Mishnah, from the Talmud, from all the records of our oral tradition. It is alluded to in the Torah, though not explicit, at the end of the reading of Va'et Chanan, in the book of Deuteronomy, where it says... You're not allowed to allow your sons to marry non-Jewish women or your daughters to marry non-Jewish men. And then it continues, Because if your daughter marries a non-Jewish man, your son-in-law may turn your grandchild against me, against God, against Judaism. Implying that the daughter's children are part of the covenant, and the concern with having a non-Jewish husband is that the non-Jewish husband will not allow the children to be raised Jewish. However, that is only for the, the Torah only says that regarding the daughter, doesn't say that regarding the son, because halachically, the son's children, as our oral tradition say, the, says clearly, the son's children are not automatically born Jewish. Now, while there are claims otherwise, the fact is there is no time in Jewish history that ever Judaism passed through the patrilineal line. Historically, our records show that Judaism was always matrilineal. I've heard the claim otherwise, that there were times that it wasn't matrilineal, that is incorrect. There is not a shred of evidence to show that there was ever patrilineal descent for Judaism. I have a question. There are, let me just give one. There are examples of a handful of Jewish leaders mentioned in scripture in Tanakh who married non-Jewish women, such as, well, Moses married a Midianite woman before the covenant. She was there at Sinai. When he joined the covenant, she joined as well, Tzipporah. There were others, notably Samson is a notable one, married twice, Philistine woman, um, King uh, um, King Solomon married an Ammonite um, Egyptian. 
Um, so there are a handful of such examples. However, um, we believe that in all of those instances, those women converted to Judaism prior to the marriage or such a marriage would have never been sanctioned. The Torah is very clear about um, its rule on marrying out. And so we believe that these Jewish leaders would have never been able, let alone, well, they would not have, but the community would not have allowed them to marry and remain in their, marry a non-Jewish woman and remain in their position. Rather, the women must have converted. It wasn't mentioned explicitly in scripture because it was obvious that they wouldn't marry a woman unless she converted. Now, why is it? Why does Judaism pass matrilineally? Why does it pass through the maternal line, not paternally? So the truth is there is no logical answer to that question. The reason is because God made the rule. God is the one that made the covenant, and that was the rule, the way he made the covenant, that it passes matrilineal. Jewish mysticism does give us an explanation. Jewish mysticism tells us that external identity, such as tribal identity, Kohanic identity, passes through the paternal line, while internal identity passes through, Jew Jewishness passes through the maternal line. The external part of the soul comes from the father, while the internal part of the soul comes from the mother. Again, these are Kabbalistic mystical interpretations, but there is no logical interpretation, no logical explanation to explain why it should pass maternity, maternally, yet we, that is the rule and that God laid out. And since God laid it out, we don't have the option of changing the covenant unilaterally. It's a deal with God. Can't change the deal unilaterally. That's the way God made the deal. I know there's a couple questions. Susan? Um, let's say a, a Jewish man marries an, a non-Jew woman and she doesn't convert, but they raise their, their, child, their children as Jews. Do, do those children have to go through a formal conversion then? Yes. Okay. So somebody, though, that was not born Jewish can still become Jewish. Anyone can become Jewish. And the conversion process is essentially a copy of the original covenant we made at Sinai. If they are male, they must circumcise. If they, um, th then, both uh, male and female, must accept to follow all of God's commandments in front of a Beth Din, in front of a Jewish court that can certify that they sincerely accepted to follow all of God's commandments. Then the convert must go to mikveh, as our ancestors did. And then finally, the convert must offer a sacrifice. Today, we cannot bring a sacrifice since we don't have a temple in Jerusalem. One can still convert, and they are 100% Jewish after converting. However, they still have the obligation to bring a sacrifice. And as soon as the temple is rebuilt, which we regularly pray for the rebuilding of our temple, as soon as the temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem, they will still have to offer that sacrifice. Now, if any of the steps were missed, except for the last one, the last one, not offering a sacrifice, does not stop one from being Jewish. But if any of the earlier steps were missed, circumcision for males, commitment to following all the commandments, and mikveh, 
If any of those steps were missed, then the conversion is invalid. And the individual, as well as their maternal descendants, if it's a woman, um, are not considered Jewish. If they follow all these steps, then they are 100% Jewish, like any other Jew, a member of the covenant, and they cannot um, leave once they're part of it, nor so are their maternal descendants, are 100% Jewish, and can never leave the covenant. What about children? So children can also become Jewish. They have to go through the same steps as adults. The only exception is that children are not able to make a commitment to keep all the commandments because they're minors. Their commitments are not valid. Their, their commitments don't count. However, the Beth Din, the Jewish court, is able to make that commitment on their behalf, on the behalf of the child. Since it's a good thing, and a court is able to um, make transactions for a child's benefit, um, a child that has assets, um, a court or others, a, a court appointee is able to make um, uh, decisions on behalf of the child so long as it's for the child's benefit. Becoming Jewish, best thing a person can do, and so therefore it would be for the child's benefit. However, such a commitment can only be made on behalf of the child if they will be raised by their parents in a way that they will follow the Torah and follow the commandments. Because if they're not going to be raised to follow the commandments, then they will be Jewish, in other words, obligated in the commandments, committed to the commandments, and then not actually follow them, break the rules. That's not a good thing. So we can't make someone Jewish or help someone commit on someone's behalf if we know they're never actually going to be able to fulfill. Such a child for whom the Beth Din made the commitment on their behalf, when they reach adulthood, which is bar or bat mitzvah according to Jewish traditions, they have the option to either accept the conversion or reject it. They don't have to actually make a formal declaration. Um, they can accept or reject it by their actions. In other words, if they are continue to follow all the commandments after their bar or bat mitzvah, they are considered Jewish, having accepted it. If they do not follow the commandments after their bar and permits, so they have effectively rejected. So um, again, if they are children who convert with their parents, or for that matter, children that are adopted by Jewish parents can join the, who are who are born non-Jewish, can join the Jewish people if they are raised to follow the commandments. However, if they're not raised to follow the commandments of the Torah, then the conversion again would not be valid. Now, once a person joins the Jewish people, though, um, whether they're Jewish, whether someone became, was Jewish from birth or someone joined through conversion, once a person's part of the Jewish people, there is no way out. It's a one-way deal. You can't pull out of it. You are still part of the covenant. In this way, even a Jew who does not fulfill the commandment, or even a Jew who doesn't believe in God or believe in Judaism, is 100% Jewish. In the words of the Talmud, Yisrael, Yisrael hu. a Jew, no matter what they have done or what they say or believe, they are 100% Jewish. You can never leave the covenant. Once you are part of the covenant, you cannot leave. So you can have an atheist Jew, a Christian Jew, a Muslim Jew, a Buddhist Jew, they are still 100% Jewish. If they were born 
as part of the covenant, or they join the covenant at any point. And they made a real commitment to follow the commandments. But then, later, they change their mind, even though they don't believe in God anymore. Even if they don't believe in Judaism, they are still 100% Jewish. They're still part of the covenant. And this creates a very interesting dynamic. And a very troubling dynamic, perhaps. People are very troubled by this. Where to become Jewish, if you want to, if you are not born Jewish, and you want to join the Jewish people, you have to sincerely believe in Judaism, and you have to make the commitment to follow all of the commandments. But if you are, once you converted, or if you were born Jewish, you reject everything, and you are still Jewish. So you can have Jews that reject Judaism, don't believe in Judaism, they're still 100% Jewish, but to join the Jewish people, you need to, to join the Jewish people, you need to make a commitment to follow all the commandments. This kind of strange dynamic um, or paradox exists also in other places. Um, an example would be citizenship. You can only become a citizen of the United States by pledging allegiance to this country. You first thing you need to take a test. You need to know a lot about how this, about this country, how this country developed, the history, the constitution. You also need to then pledge allegiance to this country. If um, the government believes that your allegiance is insincere, they will not allow you to become a citizen even if retroactively they find that you had lied on your application, um, you had a criminal background when you said you didn't or the like, um, they will retroactively invalidate your citizenship. However, once a person becomes a citizen, whether by birth or the, a naturalized citizen who joined and became a citizen later in life, they always remain a citizen. Even if they're a traitor, they're still a citizen. They may end up in jail, but they're still a citizen. Now, it's not entirely, citizenship is not entirely similar to Judaism, because citizenship you can renounce, if you wish. You can never renounce your Judaism. You can never renounce your covenant with God. Yes, Lewis? Uh, over the, the centuries, we've read about different people. Uh, they, they viewed themselves as leaders, but the rabbi said that they were false leaders, they were excommunicated. Isn't that the equivalent of throwing them out of the religion? No, we throw them out of the community. Excommunication means that they can't get any communal privileges. They can't walk into the synagogue, people won't do business with them, but they're still 100% Jewish. Oh, okay. So how do we know who is Jewish and who's not? So historically, it was not a big deal. Throughout much of our history, it wasn't very difficult to know because Jews tended to be culturally different from our non-Jewish neighbors. Jews tended to speak a different language. In Europe, we spoke Yiddish. In Arabic lands, we spoke a Jewish Arabic, which was different from the Arabic of our neighbors. In Greek and Turkish lands, they spoke Ladino. We tend to speak a different language. We tended to dress differently. And we tended to act differently. 
So it was fairly obvious who was Jewish. Part of that was due to our neighbors requiring us to act different or dress different or live in different areas. Furthermore, there was really no reason for people who were not Jewish to claim to be Jewish since Jews faced persecution. People generally did not want to, unless you were born Jewish and you felt an affiliation or a connection to Judaism, people didn't want to be Jewish. There was no advantage. In recent times, though, emancipation, which has given us equal rights, and as a result, assimilation has made it very hard to tell a Jew from a non-Jew. We speak the same language. We dress the same culturally. We're, we're just about the same. It's very hard to tell a Jew from a non-Jew. Today, also, there are certain advantages to being Jewish. There's, thankfully, relatively little anti-Semitism. Most Jews aren't afraid of their Jewishness, aren't afraid they'll be persecuted because of their Jewishness. It also gives you rights, particularly the right to move to Israel. Or today, we even have the right, birthright, which gives you the right to visit free trips to Israel if you're of a certain age. So, um, therefore, today, if someone says they're Jewish, we have to be certain that they really are. Now, how do we know if someone's Jewish? Well, we have to ask them. We need honest answers. Is your biological mother Jewish? Is your biological grandmother Jewish? If your biological mother and your biological grandmother is Jewish, then you're Jewish as well. Now, um, today we'd usually ask people um, if, if they're part of a Jewish community, we usually don't ask any further questions. If they haven't been actively part of a Jewish community, often we'll ask, we, we'll, we usually ask for some sort of evidence, um, whether it's a ketubah, a Jewish tombstone of a grandmother, or something like to, of, of the like to show that they're not just making it up. Uh, but if they're part of the Jewish community, it's not usually... We don't, we, and their mother's been part of the Jewish community, and their grandmother's been part of the Jewish community, there's really no question. Um, and so if your mother, your grandmother are Jewish, irrelevant what your father is, your mother, your grandmother is Jewish, then you would be Jewish. If not, well, did you convert, or did your mother convert, or even your grandmother convert to Judaism? If they did, and they converted according to the Jewish traditions, then the Jewish, the rules of conversion, then they did so properly, then they're a member of the covenant, they're 100% Jewish. Unfortunately today though, there are many people who are raised as Jewish, um, they have Jewish fathers, but not Jewish mothers. So such a person would not technically be Ben Britt, a member of the covenant. They're not technically part of the covenant, their fathers are Jewish, their mothers are not. They're not, they don't have the matrilineal line. They have the option of joining, but they're not. There are also many people who went through conversions to Judaism that did not include all of the steps. And the most common step that is skipped is the commitment to follow all of the commandments, because that's the hardest of the steps. Circumcision might be difficult, um, but the hardest is the commitment to follow all the commandments. And those who converted without that commitment, that conversion is not valid. We live in a free country, so people can sell anything they want. And so 
even though some people may have a very long drawn out conversion process and very expensive one too, if it doesn't include the commitment to follow the commandments, such conversions are not valid. So as a people who have survived 3,300 years as a unique distinct people, um, as a, and we are, we're defined as a people, as we said earlier, as being members of God's covenant, it's important for us that we continue to track who is halachically Jewish, who is a member of the covenant, and who is not. But we can, we, and we have certain rules that only apply to somebody who is a member of the covenant. Most notably, a Jew should only marry another Jew, so should only marry somebody who's Jewish, somebody who is actually a member of the covenant. Now today, there are probably hundreds of thousands of people in the United States alone who either have a Jewish father or grandfather, or they, or perhaps their parents, their mother, converted, went through a conversion process to Judaism that did not follow all the required steps, notably that missed out the requirement of committing to follow God's commandments. Sometimes even expensive conversions or drawn out conversions, but missed that step. Yes, Marla. Um, does that mean the 10 commandments or the 612 commandments? 613 commandments. All the commandments of the Torah. Our, our covenant is over 613 commandments, right? In fact, it's a misnomer that there are only 10 commandments. It's a mistake. Um, the Hebrew term is aseret hadibrot, 10 statements, not 10 commandments. Um, there was never 10 commandments. And our sages actually said that one should not recite the 10 commandments daily. And the reason for that is um, that the 10 commandments, or the aseret hadibrot, really 10 statements, um, one should never think that that is all there is to Judaism. That was only the first 10, or that was only the beginning. There are 613 commandments that God gave us. Now, a lot of those commandments don't apply anymore or are not relevant to us. Sacrifices, for example, are not relevant to us. Laws that involve kings or that involve the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Council um, of Judaism. There are a lot of rules that don't, no longer apply to us. Um, but it's committing to follow all the commandments that are relevant to a person today. So... There are, as I mentioned, hundreds of thousands of people who today, whose fathers are Jewish or grandfathers are Jewish or who have gone through a, some form of conversion process that doesn't follow, that, do, that doesn't um, follow all of the requirements, particularly they didn't make the commitment to follow all of the commandments. So these are people and there are many, many of those people, including in our own community here, who feel Jewish. They were raised Jewish. Judaism speaks to them. They enjoy or believe in God. They believe in the Torah. They follow many of the commandments, perhaps not all of them. Um, and they feel very Jewish, but they would not be what we would call halachically Jewish they would not be B'nai B'rit members of the covenant. We could call these people who are Jewish by religion, 
but not part of the covenant. People whom you ask them, what religion are you? They're not Christian. They're not Muslims. They're not atheists. Their religion is Judaism. The religion they believe in and that they practice is Judaism. But they're not members of God's covenant. And today there are many, many, many such people. So while these people are not members of God's covenant, they do have the option of joining the covenant. And anybody who feels that Judaism speaks to them, anybody who feels Jewish, I would encourage them to join God's covenant. Although we don't actively proselytize, we don't actively tell people to become Jewish, but somebody who feels Jewish and feels that Judaism is for them, then I would definitely encourage them to join God's covenant. There's a myth that when someone comes to convert, we reject them at first. That's a myth that is not true. We never reject anyone. If someone comes to convert, we accept them with open arms and encourage them and help them. And so definitely somebody who feels that either they were raised Jewish or they believe in Judaism and they feel Judaism is for them, definitely if you can, join God's covenant. And it's a process. And if you know anybody who would like to, I'm happy to help people along in the process. Um, it's a, not necessarily an easy process. The hardest part is to commit to all the commandments, but it's definitely something that many people have done and um, should do if you feel Jewish. However, there are people who are either do not want to do it because it involves joining all of God's commandments. Um, somebody came to me um, recently and said, I'd like my child, who was not part of the covenant, um, to become Jewish. I said, sure, but let me just tell you first what it entails. You have to, from now on, only keep kosher, eat kosher food. You have to keep all Shabbat um, and not, you know, these are God's commandments. Um, not, you know, uh, not do any of Malachi, any of the 39 forms of forbidden work on Shabbat. Keep all the Jewish festivals. Um, those are among the hardest and most, um, th those among the hardest of the commandments. We have many others, of course. Um, but yeah, if, if you're open to doing that, then let's, let's go for it. And he said, oh, well, if you put it that way, maybe not. So some people perhaps are not prepared to make that commitment. Or some people are in position where they're not able to make that commitment. Um, the most common reason why that is, um, is... Be, uh, the most common reason why that is is because they're married and their spouse is not Jewish and their spouse doesn't want to make the commitment. You can't become Jewish without your spouse being Jewish because then you'll be married to a non-Jew, which is one of the 613 commandments. So that wouldn't be possible. So, um, and I, I don't believe God ever wants a couple to break a marriage um, to join the Jewish people for one of them to join the Jewish people because it's a tragedy when a marriage is destroyed. So there are such instances where a person either is unwilling to go through the process of joining the Jewish people. They feel Jewish by religion, as we mentioned before, not Jewish by, as a member of the covenant. Um, they want to be, uh, they would like, they feel Jewish, but they're not prepared to go through the process of becoming Jewish um, or not able to. Um, so such a person can continue to be Jewish by belief and Jewish by practice. Firstly, we believe that our Jewish belief is universal. In other words, the belief in God, the belief in Torah, um, the belief that the Torah is true, 
if it's true, it's true for everyone, not just for us. Um, everybody should believe it, and we would encourage people who feel Jewish, um, even if they're not members of the covenant, to believe the same. Furthermore, almost all of the Jewish commandments, with a handful of exceptions, can be fulfilled by non-Jews as well. Maimonides writes that any non-Jew who decides to follow God's commandments to the Jewish people without accepting, without joining the covenant. So they want to um, keep kosher, or they want to hear the shofar, or they want to pray, or they want to shake the lulav or build a sukkah, or eat matzah, or make a seder, or hear the Megillah on Purim, or any of the other commandments. Someone wants to follow God's commandments, uh, but without joining the covenant, they can do so. And not only can they do so, they get credit for doing so. God will reward them for doing so. Any person who follows the commandments, even if they're not part of the covenant, will be rewarded for doing so. So a person who feels Jewish, who is what we could call religiously Jewish, but not a member of the covenant, and is unable or unwilling to join, take the steps to join the covenant, they definitely can continue to feel Jewish by religion, believe in Judaism, and continue to practice almost all the commandments as a handful of exceptions that we do not allow non-Jews to do. Um, but almost all of them, can they can do, and they should do. If, um, they, if it speaks to them, they're not required to, but they definitely can and should. I know there was a few questions. Let me, Bart, I think you had a question before. All answered? All answered, thank you. Well, Lewis, did you have a question? Go ahead. Um, about the, um, you, you described it as a myth that it's never happened that um, people wanted to be, uh, uh, come Jewish and rabbis dissuade them. I, I mean, I, I could attest to knowing people who told me this. I could tell you communities where this has actually occurred. I, one, a good friend of mine in Boston, this happened to. So to say it's a myth, Rabbi, is a little bit of a stretch. It, it, it's real. It really happened. So I didn't say it never happened. No, but you, you said it's a myth. I never said it never happened. I said it's a myth that there is such a rule. There is no rule in Shulchan Aruch, in the code of Jewish law, that we should dissuade people from becoming Jewish. Oh, okay, that's what you I meant by the myth. Because it's actually, it actually has occurred in our communities. I don't know what goes on in other places. I cannot speak for places. Uh, I can't speak for the Bethlehem of Los Angeles, whom we deal with, I deal with extensively. Um, they do not do that. They do not dissuade people from becoming Jewish. What they do is they make it clear the steps that need to be taken. Now, for some, those, they are not prepared to take those steps, which is fine. But they just are very upfront about the steps that will need to be taken to become Jewish. But they don't make any effort to dissuade people from becoming Jewish. To the contrary, they encourage people to go ahead with it if they are prepared to take the steps necessary. And a part two on that, um, there's a lot of uh, stories in, in Israeli newspapers that they estimate maybe a half a million Russian Jews in Israel were not uh, converted in, in due process. 
How do you see that eventually getting resolved? That's a very good question. Let's wait till the end and I'll, I'll address it in just a few minutes. Okay. I'll try to. Susan, did you have a question? <laughs> okay. So though Judaism is essentially, we could call it an exclusive club, we are unique people. We are a people, um, we, we believe we are a unique people. We are um, members of God's covenant. We are God's chosen people. Um, we still believe that we have a defining message for the entire world. Our belief in monotheism, the values that God has given us in the Torah, are not just for ourselves, but for everyone around us. Well, we believe that we should remain a unique and distinct people, we believe we also have a responsibility to teach the world around us. Our goal is not to make everyone Jewish like us, but rather our goal is to share the, our values to the entire world. If we made everyone Jewish, Judaism would disappear, taken over by something else. Rather, we keep true to ourselves, unique and different, but we ensure, but we ensure our values, we ensure our future by staying unique. And yet at the same time, we try to share our values with others and get others to, uh, uh, and get others to adopt those values. While we want the whole world to share our values, we do not expect everyone to share our commandments. God only gave the commandments that he had given to the, um, to the people that he had chosen and to those who made the commitment to the covenant. Well, people have the option voluntarily of joining any of those commandments, well, of following most of those commandments. People who are not Jewish have that option. We don't require them to do so or even encourage them to do so. Rather, the commandments were for our people, unique and distinct. But we still have a message, a universal message for everyone around us. We call those values the seven Noahide laws, the Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noach, um, and they are universal values we expect everyone to follow. They are our roles in changing the world and making it God's home. So who is, what makes someone Jewish? The simple answer is someone is Jewish as a member of God's covenant. Um, if they or their maternal ancestor joined God's covenant through the three or four step process, uh, of joining God's covenant. Anyone who they or their maternal ancestor did is a member of the Jewish people, of the Jewish nation, um, is um, therefore considered Jewish as part of the Jewish people, or a member of the covenant, part of our nation. Um, there are many others who are Jewish by religion in that they believe in Judaism, feel Jewish, um, practice parts of Judaism, um, though not members of the covenant. Regardless, we believe that though we are a distinct nation with a distinct role, we also have a universal message for the entire world around us, a message of values, seven values that we share with everyone around us, the value of monotheism, values of life, private property, um, not being cruel to animals, respecting God, um, justice in general. Those are our values that we have for the entire world. Not going to ask questions. I can't get answers. 